Damien, let me throw a wee scenario at you, okay? It's 1990, and I'm living alone on a tropical island, say, I don't know, Madagascar, and I'm surrounded by 3 million bison cattle and 60 million goats. But I'm getting lonely in my little tropical paradise, so I invite some people to fly in, bring vehicles, build cities and factories and urbanise my island. Trouble is my carbon footprint's gone through the roof, my transport emissions alone from fossil fuel burning have gone up by 85% in the past three decades. In the meantime, my ruminant greenhouse gas emissions have gone up by 7.5% since 1990, even though they've been dropping slowly since 2005. Because I ditched a lot of goats in the 1990s and early 2000s when the bison boom was happening and they burnt more than the goats. But in a faraway kingdom called New Zealand, the all-powerful Queen Jacinda says small countries like Madagascar have to do their bit to get the world to carbon zero by 2050. And that's despite some of the much bigger countries doing bugger all for the cause. So here's my dilemma, Damien. Do I cut my bison herd by 15% and suffer the subsequent drop in food production, even though the methane they're emitting produces less global warming than CO2? Or do I cut my CO2 emissions from fossil fuel burning back to 1990 levels using new renewable energy technology? So which is the easiest, most efficient and most sustainable way to save the planet while feeding its inhabitants. Damien, what's the answer? Is, is your island sinking and are you worried about the future, Jamie? I guess the question is, if we think we do have an issue with climate change and we all have to do something about it, then I guess we have to all do our bit. And individually, we may not be able to save the planet, but collectively... We hope we can. And I guess it's how we do that. Greenhouse gas emissions, since my hypothetical 1990, in this scenario, from uh, ruminant livestock, have not increased right across the whole planet. So why are we picking on livestock? I'm not quite sure whether what the, where you've got those figures, and that may or may not be true. Um, I know that they they have our, certainly our stock numbers in New Zealand have gone up um, around dairy. We've replaced some sheep, um, and I haven't seen those net figures. But what we're trying to do to limit the increase in global temperature to less than 1.5 or maybe 2 degrees, is we're trying to do everything everything we can to reduce emissions, wherever we can. Actually, there's some exciting new opportunities to do that, not just for New Zealand, actually to help others do the same thing, because across the globe, if we can reduce ruminant emissions, then that's going to contribute really positively to uh, a reduction in overall Yeah, emissions. OK, and, and, I, and I get that, but if 1990s the peg in the sand and there are no more cattle as an example, on the planet now. In fact, I think there's slightly less than there was in 1990. Aren't we barking up the wrong tree? Well, I think, I think you know, there's probably a few more emissions from vehicles. and so no, there's a lot more emissions from vehicles. I think the numbers in and, New Zealand's case are 85% increase in transport emissions I know, since and, and 1990. I yeah, and a lot of that's tied up with, you know, an economy that's grown off the back of primary industries, you know, and that's all been necessary. I think we're going to have to reduce our, as we've indicated, reduce our emissions from transport and from vehicles as well. It's not just us. It's a collective effort in every area of, of our economy. And across the globe, most people are talking about the desperate need to do this. And yet China's building coal-fired factories as we speak. 
Yeah, but they're also very conscious of climate change and environmental management. And, uh, you know, when they decide to change, they'll do it overnight. And, um, you know, we don't, we can't do that. We have to take into account, you know, the business and, and the investments and people's skills and livelihoods. And so we do that gradually, giving plenty of notice and, and collectively and cooperatively, like, like Hewaki Kanoa. The Chinese won't necessarily take such a gradual approach when they do change. Damien, here's an idea for you, a novel idea. Instead of penalising farmers through a carbon tax, why don't you reward the ones who reduce their carbon emissions? A bit like you've rewarded the people who bought an electric car through the feebate scheme. and that's exactly what we'll be doing with the money that's being generated. And, and keep in mind that the money, um, you know, rewarded for people over a, a changing their vehicles came from that. So it's cycling the money in the same way that we're going to cycle the money from agriculture back into investment in agriculture and incentives for farmers. We've got, uh, should I say, uh, Jim Van Der Poel and Sam McIver coming up. And, of course, you know them well. You've done a lot of dealing with them through Hiwaka Ekanoa. Well, they've come up with the recommendations for you, okay? But have the industry good bodies, and I'm going to ask this of them, and I'll ask it of you as well, have they kind of rolled over? Have they been a bit of a soft touch on this one? That's a ridiculous statement. No, it's not not a statement, it was a question. It is a ridiculous statement because if you have a look at what is happening across the globe, we've just briefly mentioned it, everyone is looking to lower carbon footprint, and, and the companies that will do well and that will have a sustainable future will be the ones that can prove that's the case. And just as Silver Fern Farms is looking to have have zero carbon beef or certainly lower carbon, we're looking to trade on our uh, pasture-fed systems rather than intensive systems and get into markets. All of these things indicate that better environmental performers will have a better future. Damien, I would argue a lot of our beef's already carbon zero. Well, I think beef and lamb, and maybe you can ask Sam that, beef and lamb did a study that said that, and I, and I think, you know, without I haven't analysed it carefully, and, and that, that does, does deserve some further scrutiny because if that's the case, then that's great. It would help if um, you would give them credits for everything on their farm that sequesters carbon. Well, yeah, we, do, we pretty much do the pre ninety forest, which is part of so the I'm calling BS on that. You're, you're not, at the moment, you're not accounting for shelterbelts. We had the example of Jane Smith, who's coming up on the show a wee bit later. They've got something like 250,000 trees on their farm that they're not getting any credits for because they're in shelterbelts. Well, well, because, you know, Hewaki Kanoa and the group has been working through those very issues, and Sam will be able to explain that that, that's exactly what we're looking to do, Um, and that's part of the proposals. Let's move on. You're off on another trip, and you certainly have been well-travelled, and, you know, once again, we give you a bit of stick on occasions, Damien, but well done with the free trade agreement with the UK. The EU is going to be a tougher nut to crack. Yes, it is. There's a lot more member states. It's not just one country. Um, they all are at different stages of development. And the EU, you know, has 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 a government. Uh, it has, uh, you know, uh, a system there that that works with the member states collectively. It's worked really well for the peace of Europe. Uh, you know, up until recently, that of course Russia and, and Ukraine not in the EU, um, but but it's worked well. It does make it more complex when it comes to 
um, you know, connecting with or negotiating with the EU. But we've been making great progress in the last couple of years, and we we are, um, you know, confident that we can, you know, get there in the near future. I was watching breakfast television this morning, Damien. I was on the on the bike and the gym doing the hard yards. You know, you've got to keep yourself in shape when you get older, like us. I normally listen to the Hosk on nice ZB. Nice the time to do it, Jamie. Yeah. Well, I know I noticed you posting some pictures of you riding your motorbike round over the weekend. But anyhow, um, my point being, I normally listen to the Hosk, but I was watching breakfast TV, which is normally far too woke for me, Damien. I'm far too much <laughs> of a cynic. But I did see someone, I think, on the AM show, interviewing an EU ambassador, and the question was asked, does, does New Zealand have to have greenhouse gas emissions or reductions in them embedded into a potential FTA or free trade agreement? And the answer was no. You've been yeah. telling us the opposite. No, no, I haven't said it. What I've said is that, that we've kind of almost reached agreement and the deal won't be done until it's done, is that, that our commitment to an environmental chapter that... that um, allows the free movement of environmental goods and services um, that that you know works to to uphold the high standards of animal welfare. These are all objectives. Not we we haven't written in details because indeed the systems that we run in Europe and New Zealand are quite different. But the principles of where we're going um, are the ones that we share, and and those are the values that we are trading on, literally. Yeah, but you're running around telling us all that these countries aren't going to buy stuff from us unless we reduce our carbon footprint. Once again, no, I call I BS on that. You have been. No, I've been saying that actually that's, that's, that's the advantage that we offer to them because we're not a huge market. You must understand that, you know, if they look to us and see what other commercial opportunities in New Zealand uh, compared to other places they might trade with, they're not huge. But indeed, you know, our objectives are very, very similar. And they have a program that says that 25% of their farms will be organic by 2030, that they, they've got a farm-to-fork strategy. They're really trying to move in the direction that we have been for some time. And indeed, they want to connect up with us so they can say to their farmers, New Zealand farmers can do this. I'm sure you can in Europe as well to deliver a, a better world for everyone. Damien O'Connor, look, thanks for some of your time and good luck on your mission, your trade mission. I know uh, the Prime Minister's going over with you and whether people agree or disagree with the Prime Minister or vote or don't vote for her, there can be no arguing that on the world stage, as we saw in the United States, she certainly has a very strong presence. So good luck. Thanks, Jamie.